This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is one of the heroes, if not the main hero of Jewish history. Because without Moshe Rabbeinu, we would probably still be in Eretz Mitzrayim, still with our friends over there, our enemies. Maybe we'd be, still be there, as we say in the Haggadah. If, we, if Hashem wouldn't bring us out over there, we'd still be there. We and our children, our children will still be slaves to Paro, Baraminah. We would still be there. So each book has a theme. And uh, the book of uh, Bereshit has the theme, Ramban, Nachmanides says, it's the theme of the creation of a nation. It's the theme of the creation of a nation. And what is the theme of Sefer Shemot? And the answer is that it's the creation of a nation outside its land. It's never been done before. The creation of a nation outside of its land and the giving of a, a code, a legal moral code outside of the land, which has never been done before in the annals of, of, of any history. And the creation of a nation inside of another nation, which uh, that was Paro's uh, main worry, that there's a nation inside another nation. So what is the theme of the Sefer Shemot? Let's just go through some of the things that go through Sefer Shemot before we turn to Moshe Rabbein. So number one is it starts off with the classic theme of anti-Semitism. The first anti-Semitism in the Torah is Paro and his uh, worry about the Jews becoming and taking over his country. And it's classic anti-Semitism. And for this, he had his own final solution of throwing the boys into the river and leaving the girls alive. So it's interesting, a lot of the themes that were in the Holocaust, we find right here. This is probably where the Germans, Yomakshimam, got their ideas from. Separating the men from the women, making them work, and killing all the babies. They didn't only kill the babies, but uh, this is where it started, the Egyptians. So we have anti-Semitism in the final solution. We have Yitzhak Mitzrayim coming out of Egypt. We have the going to the desert to Mahamad Har Sinai to get the Torah. We have the building of the Mishkan. And then, unfortunately, we have the sin of the, of the, of the golden calf. And uh, that seems to end the book of Shemot. So it starts off with, in a terrible fashion. And it sort of ends off also in a bad fashion of the serving of the golden calf, which sort of ruins things for a while, until the building of the Mishkan, which seems to remedy matters. So what is going on? So Ramban says, he says, the book of Breshid is Sefer Yetzirah. It's the book of the formation of the world. And it's also the foundation of the Jewish people. Shemot is a story of the first exile and redemption to the same state of the forefathers. Because you know the forefathers, the Shekhinah dwelt in their tents. What does that mean? That means God's presence was there in their tents. And that is symbolized by the building of the Mishkan in the desert, which is the tent of the Jewish people. And therefore, Hashem is dwelling again in the tent of the Jewish people like he dwelt in the tent of the forefathers. So that is the theme of Bereshit, uh, the theme of Shemot, which is building on Bereshit and the formation of a whole nation. Let's talk a bit about Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu was our greatest leader, and also according to Rambam, we have to believe he was our greatest prophet. And we find this in Pasha Be'alotcha, when Miriam and Aaron speak bad about their brother Moshe, and Hashem says, don't speak bad about Moshe. He is He was trustworthy in all my house. I speak to him mouth to mouth. 
In other words, I don't speak to him through parables. I speak to him directly. He gets a direct message, unlike any other prophet. So who was Moshe Rabbeinu? What was his greatness? What was Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness? And what were the themes that go through in terms of Moshe Rabbeinu? So number one, we have to know that Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble person that ever lived. And that's what Hashem tells Moshe, um, tells his brother and sister, uh, that Moshe, Anav me'od me'kol adam. He was the most humble person around. So we have to understand, to understand Moshe, we have to understand what is humility. Humility is, I have great traits, and I have great prowess, and I have great abilities, but I know they're not mine, they're from Hashem. Everything I have is from Hashem. In other words, a person's got to know that they have these properties because these are gifts from Hashem. So the humility is uh, saying, I have these gifts, but you know what? Who gave me these gifts is Hashem gave me the gifts. And that is the greatness of humility is to recognize one's own greatness, but to recognize that the greatness that one has is not their own directly. It's Hashem. It's Hashem's gave us the ability to do these things. And this is one of the 10 uh, things that we have to remember every day. Uh, every, every Jew has to remember these 10 things every day. One of them is, Hashem is the one who gives the person the ability to do great things. So a person might think, you know, I'm so great. I made so much money. I built so many houses and I did this and I did that. But if a person doesn't think that it came from Hashem, the ability came from God, then that's not humility, that is pride. So that's the difference between pride and humility. Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble. What does that mean, the most humble? He ascribed every one of his great abilities to God. Every single thing that he achieved, he ascribed. Without Hashem helping me, I would not be able to do it. And that is tremendous humility. That's number one. So Moshe Rabbeinu was humble more than anyone else around. Number two, he had a speech disability. And this is interesting because this is one of the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu is how could he overcome his disabilities? There's a lot of people today with disabilities, unfortunately. In fact, most of us have some kind of disability. If it's not a physical disability, it's a spiritual disability, it's a mental disability, it's a forgetfulness, it's the ability to speak, uh, to give, uh, give uh, drashot, give speeches, and other things. Moshe Rabbeinu had a tremendous disability. And the Midrash says it was because Paro was jealous of this little kid. He was worried about this little kid. This little kid was trying to take his crown off his head. And he told his advisors, he said, I'm scared. This kid is one day going to be the king. He's going to take my crown and become the king. And um, it says, one of the advisors said, listen, put some hot coals in front of him and see if he chooses the hot coals or the golden crown. Maybe he's just attracted to the brightness of the crown. So they put the hot coals and he was going to go for the crown, but it says the angel Gabriel came and made him take the hot coal and put it in his mouth. And that spared his life. Because if Paro saw that he, was, he wasn't after his crown. He was after the bright things. But it says that coal burnt his mouth. And from there he had a speech disability. So there's a midrash, interesting midrash. To explain his speech disability. But how did Moshe Rabbeinu overcome his speech disability? From becoming disabled completely speech-wise. He couldn't talk. And in fact when Paro, when he went to Paro. His brother Aaron did all this talking. If you look at the story that Hashem appoints Aaron as his messenger to be the one who speaks on his behalf. So you can imagine the leader can't speak. The leader has to appoint a deputy to speak on his behalf. The leader was silent all the time. Amazing. So that's an amazing concept. A leader who can't talk. 
which is important. Why is Moshe as a leader with a speech disability so important? And the answer is to show everyone that when he spoke, it wasn't him speaking. In other words, if a person has a charismatic ability to speak, then obviously he's a very good leader. But who says his speaking is coming from God? Maybe his speaking is coming from him. But a person has a disability and he starts speaking in a very amazing way, it must be God speaking through his mouth. Because when he's without God speaking through his mouth, he can't talk. He has a tremendous stutter. Moshe Rabbein had a tremendous stutter. And this is one of his arguments at the burning bush. I can't talk. Hashem says, don't worry. Who created the mouth? Hashem, I created the mouth and I can make you speak as well. And that's what happened is how Moshe Rabbeinu, with Hashem's help, overcame his speech disability. Amazing. So that's a very important concept in terms of his greatness, is how here is this young Moshe who's overcoming his speech disabilities and to learn how to be a leader. Moshe Rabbeinu, we find a few stories at the beginning which shows us what kind of person he was. So number one, it says, as soon as he grew up, Moshe, imagine Moshe Rabbeinu was raised in Paro's palace. It's very hard to imagine. He was far away from the servitude of the Jewish people. In fact, he could have just got away with everything just by living in Paro's palace and becoming a total Egyptian. He could have assimilated totally into Egyptian society. But somehow he stayed, he retained his Jewish character probably because he was raised by his mother for those, day, those uh, years that he was, had to be fed by his mother. And she instilled in him with the mother's milk. She instilled with him the fact that he was a Jew and a proud Jew. And so he resisted the temptation to assimilate in the king's palace. And then it says the first day he goes out, when he grew up, he was 12 years old. The Midrash says he was 12 years old. The Torah says he goes out to his brothers and he sees their troubles. He sees their troubles and he was affected by their troubles. He had tremendous empathy with them. Yeah, and this is one of the greatness, the great qualities of a leader. That's empathy. Number one is empathy. So he had this ability, he had the humility. He could overcome his speech disability. And number three, he had tremendous empathy to his brothers. The Gemara says, he said to them, Havali alechem. I'm so sorry for you. I'd rather die for you. And he would go and work with them in, in the mud to make the bricks and help them and carry things. And think, imagine he would put aside his royal badge and go and help his brothers. So he empathized tremendously with his brothers. Number four, the, 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 the Torah says, even when he saw two Jews fighting and he says to them, he knew they were Rashaim. He says, Rasha, lama takerecha. He says, evil man, why are you lifting your hand? Why are you beating your friend? So the Gemara says, and the Midrash says, Recha, your friend, he's like you, your friend, just like you're Rasha and you're beating him, he's also Rasha. I know they're both Rashaim. Nevertheless, Moshe Rabbeinu gets involved and he separates them. He can't bear to see people fighting, he can't bear to see Jews fighting. So that's the greatness of a leader, not to see and not to make Jews fight, not to make uh, the person he is leading fight each other to keep society united. That's one of the main jobs of a leader is to unite his society somewhere where our leadership today is unfortunately failing. Is uniting society as opposed to dividing society. So Moshe Rabbeinu can't even bear to see two Rashaim fighting. Moshe Rabbeinu, he goes and he sees this Egyptian hitting this Jew. 
the Egyptian taskmaster hitting the Jew. And again, he cannot bear to see the afflicted. He cannot bear to see the affliction of the helpless. And he goes and he saves the Jew at tremendous cost to himself. And that's another point. Another, this is number five. Number five is to go and without even calculating his own personal loss. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu who's going to lose his position in the Egyptian society. He's going to become homeless. He's going to become stateless. He's going to be expelled from Egypt at the least, or he may even lose his life. He's willing to give his life to save this poor Jew who's being beaten by the taskmaster. And that's tremendous leadership. That's the ability to give oneself of oneself instead of the other, to save the other person. That's a great leader. We find that uh, because of that episode, he had to run away from Paro and he had to run away from Egypt. And he ran away to Midian. And in Midian, what does he see? It says he will, goes and stays by the well, which the rabbis say he learned from Yaakov Avinu. And he hoped to find his wife. And, and sure enough, he sees all these girls come with the sheep. And he sees the shepherds. They fill up all the water. And then the shepherds come and they shoo these girls away. And the girls cannot feed their sheep. And it says, Payoshi and Miadam. And uh, Moshe Rabbeinu saved the girls from the hands of the shepherds. So there's a theme going in. The, the theme of Moshe Rabbeinu's early life is when Moshe Rabbeinu sees trouble and he, he gets involved, he doesn't run away, he doesn't hide his face, he gets involved, he goes to try and ameliorate the situation. If he sees injustice, he can't sit back on the sidelines. He has to get involved and try and remedy the situation. And this applies whether it's uh, two Jews fighting, this applies whether it's an Egyptian fighting a Jew, this applies whether there's a non-Jews fighting. He has to go and help the people who are suffering. He has to go and help the person who is in, in trouble with the law. And uh, here he helps uh, the daughters of Yitro. And eventually this is how he meets his wife, Tzipora, and he gets married to Tzipora. So it's a fascinating to see all these different stories. The Midrash brings another story. And it's, uh, the Midrash says, Hashem checks the heart of his righteous. And how do you check the heart? It first starts with David Amelech. It says, Hashem checked David with the sheep. And he saw that he was a good shepherd with the sheep. He saw how David looked after the big sheep and he looked after the small sheep. And he saw how the little sheep were cared for first, that they got the first choice of the soft grass. And then the mediums, and then the older sheep got the next choice. And then the, uh, the, uh, the strong uh, young sheep could get a choice of the grass. So that's how David would treat the sheep. And Hashem said, I like the way you treat the sheep. I'm going to make you my shepherd of my people. And the same thing applied to Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu saw the small sheep running away, he ran after it. And he saw the small sheep running to the stream. And he, he went to the, uh, to the sheep and he said, I wish I knew that you were thirsty. I would have brought you to the water first. And the sheep drank the water. And then Moshe Rabbeinu put the sheep on his shoulder and carried it back to the flock. Hashem said to Moshe, you have mercy to look after your sheep. Are you also going to have mercy on human beings? By your life, you are going to be the shepherd of Am Yisrael. So these are the stories that led to the choice of Moshe Rabbeinu as the leader of the Jewish people. Let's, let's just try and recap. So number one is we said Moshe Rabbeinu had humility. Number two, we said Moshe Rabbeinu had to overcome his disabilities. 
Number three, we said Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to give his life for the Jewish people. He had empathy when he saw their troubles. Number three, we, number four, we said that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw the Egyptian hitting the Jew, he didn't care about the consequences. He had to get involved and look after his fellow man. And then we talked about two Jews fighting. And we said when two Jews fighting and he saw they were both evil, nevertheless, he couldn't bear to see infighting amongst the Jewish people. And we said that the, the jobs of leader is to make unity and to separate people from fighting, to stop people from fighting. And then we talked about how uh, the taskmaster was hitting, hitting the Jew and Moshe Rabbeinu gets involved. And because of that, he had to run away from Egypt. He actually gave his life, Kimat. He nearly lost his life. It says Paro put a death penalty on his head. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu was in exile for all those years. And then when he goes to Midian, he can't bear to see shepherds afflicting these girls. And he had to save the girls from the shepherds and he fed their flocks. So Moshe Rabbeinu was a person who couldn't sit back on the sidelines and watch these uh, innocent people being afflicted or people being afflicted for no reason. He had to get involved and he didn't care what the cost was personally. He didn't care about personal cost. And that's what made him such a good leader. He was a good shepherd as well. And that's the reason why Hashem made him the shepherd of, a, of his flock. So it's interesting to see the greatness, the great qualities of Moshe Rabbeinu. But we find another quality, and that is the quality when Moshe Rabbeinu is being talked to by Hashem in the burning bush. And in a sense, this is probably one of Moshe Rabbeinu's greatest sins and failures, the way he treated Hashem at the burning bush. Yes, Hashem is telling him, you are going to be the leader of the Jewish people. I'm going to send you to Paro. You're going to be the one to tell Paro to send the Jews, let, the, let my people go. Beni Bechori Yisrael, my elder son Israel. This is my chosen people. This idea of chosenness is based on this parasha. We're at the burning bush last week at Shemot, parasha Shemot, where it talks about Moshe Rabbeinu being the, uh, the chosen people. Moshe Hashem tells Moshe, Beni Bechori Yisrael, my people Israel, they are my firstborn, they're the chosen people. So on the one side, it's interesting because Judaism, Rabbi Sachs points out, Judaism is one of the few religions where we don't expect everyone in the world to convert to Judaism. You know, other religions, uh, Christianity and Islam, believes that everyone has to convert to their religion. And if a person doesn't convert to their religion, they're going to hell, basically. Judaism is one of the few religions, I think it's the only one, that doesn't believe that everyone has to convert to Judaism. We believe that the, the, there's a seven mitzvot b'nei Noach. The whole world should belong, believe in seven mitzvot b'nei Noach. And we are the firstborn. We have a higher responsibility. We have more mitzvot. We have 613 mitzvot. But not everyone has to do 613 mitzvot. We are the ones who are believe in Israel. Just like a father has many children and he has a firstborn, so too we are the firstborn. The nations of the world are the other children of God. You're all children of God. This is one of the unique qualities of Judaism. B'ni Bechori Israel. Yes, we're all children of God. But we are Bechor, B'ni Bechori. We are the, the firstborn. We have more responsibilities. We have to be the role models. We have to be, as Isaiah the prophet says, a light unto the nations. But at the burning bush we find Moshe Rabbeinu, Arguing with God. I don't want to be. I can't. I, I have a speech impediment. I can't be the leader. Seven days. For seven days he's arguing with Hashem, which is very hard to imagine. It's very, very hard to imagine. How can a person argue with God for seven days? And this is one of his biggest, even though the rabbis don't 
really over over uh, do this, but we find this one of his biggest problems. Which are his biggest problems? The best leader we find, another quality for leadership over here is one of the best leaders is a leader who doesn't really want the job. A leader who says, "You know what? I'm not qualified." You know, most of our leaders today they say, "I am the best guy for the job. I want to be the leader. I am the best leader. I will make the best leader." But usually, it's the guy who says, "You know what? I don't want to be a leader who makes the best leader." And that's what that's what that's one of the things we learn from here. The one who says, "I don't want to be a leader for seven days," that's the guy who needs to be the leader. <laughs> In other words, he doesn't really want the job. He doesn't need the job. He realizes how hard the job is going to be, and realizes the cost, the personal cost, the toll on the family. It's it's a very it's a very very big toll on the family. So leadership position is best for a leader who doesn't really want the job. That's what we see over here. Moshe Rabbeinu tries to get away with it for seven days until finally he says, Shalach Nabiyatishlach. And Rashi says, send it through someone else. Who's someone else? My brother, Aharon. I have an older brother, Aharon, and it's not right that the younger brother should be the leader over the older brother. So Hashem, why do you want to send me? It's going to cause tremendous pain to my brother. Please, Hashem, send my brother instead. So finally, this is the message. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu arguing with God for seven days? Finally, we come out on the seventh day, we find he was worried about causing pain to his brother. This is the Midrash in uh, Rashi breaks down that Hashem, Moshe says to Hashem, Master the universe, Aaron my, my brother Aaron is bigger than me. I can't talk in front of him. In other words, I don't want to cause pain to my older brother. He's my older brother. He should get the he should, he should get the job, not me. I don't want to cause pain by being the leader when he's number two. So this is the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu argued with God for seven days. We see the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Number one is a leader who wants the job may not be such a leader. It's better to get a leader who doesn't want the job who's qualified and yet doesn't want the job, shows that he doesn't have ego. That's a danger. The, the leader with an ego, we see this today, especially now news today, headlines, a leader with an ego who cannot give up, that's the trouble. That's our trouble today. That's our problems today. You need a leader who has his ego in control. He knows that he's not the greatest. He's not the greatest leader out there. Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but he's not. he doesn't want the job at all costs. And Moshe Rabbein did not want the job at all costs. He was worried about the humiliation of his, of his older brother. That's a tremendous quality to worry about other people's pain. He was worried about his brother's pain. And that's what made him such a great leader. His empathy with other people made him such a great leader. His empathy with his older brother made him such a great leader. And Hashem says to Moshe, he says, don't worry. Your brother Aaron is coming to greet you. And he's going to greet you with a good heart. Aaron HaKohen had this quality, and that's why he was worthy of being a Kohen, the rabbis say. That's why he was worthy of having the breastplate of the Kohen on his chest, because he had no jealousy in his heart. Imagine his older brother watching the younger brother being the leader, and not a single speck of jealousy in his heart. And that was the greatness of Aaron. And again, the rabbis say, this is the punishment of Moshe. He lost being Kohen. Moshe Rabbeinu could have been the Kohen, but instead, Aharon was chosen because Moshe Rabbeinu uh, argued with Hashem for seven days and said, send Aharon. Hashem says, you know what? You're right. I'm going to make Aharon. I wanted you to be the Kohen, 
But now I'm going to make Aaron the Kohen. So Aaron got the job because Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned about Aaron getting upset. And you know what? There's another issue over here, which is being Choshed B'Kshirim. A person is not allowed to suspect kosher people of doing something wrong. So in a sense, Moshe Rabbeinu was suspecting his brother, Aharon, of being jealous. And Aaron wasn't jealous. And that's the reason why Aaron gets the high priesthood and wears the chosh and the breastplate of the high priesthood on his chest because his heart never had a single shred of jealousy in it. That's so hard, you know. See a brother being successful and not only being successful, being a boss. Having a younger brother being your boss and not getting upset and not getting jealous. That is the greatness of Aaron Akohen. And that's why Aaron Akohen got the priesthood and became the high priest. But we see Moshe Rabbeinu's quality, his quality of worrying about his brother, his quality of not wanting to be his brother's boss. Amazing. So those are the qualities of Moshe Rabbeinu. Those are the qualities that, that caused Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness as a leader. There's a few other things I want to talk about. How to deal with failure. And at the end of last week's parasha, we find when Moshe Rabbeinu first goes to Paro, and uh, he tells Paro, I have a message to you from uh, Hashem. And Paro says, I don't know who Hashem is. And he does this, this miracle with a stick. He does Aaron do the miracle with a stick. And yet, Paro increases the burden on the Jewish people. He now makes them make their bricks and collect their own straw. The straw acted like reinforced concrete. The straw was like uh, reinforced the clay and the bricks and made the bricks stronger. So now Paro says, you're going to make as many bricks as you made before. And now you're going to collect your own straw, which multiplied their job tremendously. And the Jewish people come and complain to Moshe. And Moshe goes and he complains to God. So in a sense, this was Moshe Rabbeinu's first try and first big failure. And uh, how Moshe, this is another sign of great leadership quality, is how to deal with failure. How does a person who's a leader of the people deal with failure now, and he's being blamed for the failure by the, how does he pick up his socks and move on? So obviously, it's not, this is not a regular leadership, but this is a major quandary in a leadership position for any leader, is what you do when things are not going so well. How do you... Uh, build up the, Jew, the Jewish people? How do you re-encourage them? How do you reinforce their faith when things are not going so well? And this is another quality of leadership that we see Moshe Rabbeinu had, how he survived this big fiasco, in a sense, the first major test of leadership and telling Paro to let the Jews go. And Paro makes things worse for the Jewish people and the Jewish people come and they complain to Moshe. The Rambam calls Moshe our first king. You know, it's interesting. Because the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership was that Moshe Rabbeinu was not just Rabbeinu, our rabbi. He was also a leader. He was also a political head. He was, the Rambam says, our first king. He wasn't really anointed to be a king, but he was the first leader we had. He was the first great leader that we had. He was considered like a king. He was the head of the army. Very hard to imagine. Here's this rabbi. Here's this prophet. Here's this king. Here's this leader of the army. He was a temporal leader and he was the spiritual leader. He was also, he was also the judge. He was also a tremendous judge. Uh, please, by the way, everyone put out, put your phones, put your things on mute because we're hearing some background noises. So please put your devices on mute and we can talk after the class. So 
he was a, a leader in all different areas. Hard to find someone who is so qualified in all these different areas that he was the leader of the army, he was the leader of the navy, he was the leader of the air force, he was the leader of the prophets, he was the leader of the judges, he was the leader of the Sanhedrin, he was the leader of uh, spirituality, he was the leader of everything. He had all the, uh, the strings of power in his hands, all the reins of power in his hands. How did he get to that position where he was so knowledgeable and so able? And the answer is obvious. That's his humility. He knew that all these strengths must have come from God. There's no other way. There's no other way that one person could do all these different things unless everything came from God. So he was this great, we have never had a leader like that, who had all the reins of power in his hands. Because after Moshe Rabbeinu, you had leaders. So let's say Joshua. Yahushua was the leader. Yes, he was the head of the Sanhedrin. Yes, he was a prophet. But there were 70 elders around him. And eventually Moshe Rabbeinu also, at the end of 40 years, also gets 70 elders around him. He has to appoint also other judges. He can't do everything by himself. But at first, he was everything. He was one hand. It was just him, Moshe Rabbeinu, and his, sec- and his uh, deputy, Aaron, and they did everything. Everything revolved around that. He took a nation of slaves. It's very hard to imagine. You know, the blacks in America still, they say they're not recovered from the slavery. They want reparations. This is hundreds of years later. They're still not recovered. And here we are, the Jewish people in the desert, who are ex-slaves, Basically, it took them 40 years to recover. That whole generation, it says, had to go. That whole generation were raised as slaves in captivity, and they had to go. They thought like slaves. You know, the famous, uh, the famous saying is, you can take the Jews out of exile, but you can't take the exile out of the Jews. You know, how does the Jew think? Like the, the Israelis call it galut mentality. Galut mentality. If someone hits you and you just stand there, you don't hit back. That's Galut mentality. How do you take the Galut mentality out of a Jew? It's hard. He says, easier to take a Jew out of Galut than take the Galut out of the Jew. It's easier to take a Jew out of Egypt than take the Egypt out of the Jew. And that was the process over the 40 years. Moshe Rabbeinu had to take the slaves and make them think like free people. That was very hard. That was the hardest part. Make an ex-slave think like a free people. So obviously, one of the great gifts we're going to see and maybe next week, week after, we'll talk about is how you take slaves, ex-slaves. And the secret is really in this week's parasha when it talks about the four languages of redemption. And we're going to talk about it next week. The four languages of redemption, which is the origins of the four cups of wine at the seder. Four cups of wine at the seder are based on these four different words, which we say in this week's parasha, ve'otseti, ve'itzalti, ve'ga'alti, ve'lakati, but more about that next week. Be'ezrat Hashem, we'll talk about how do you make slaves think like a free nation. That's a very important. So Moshe Rabbeinu was that leader, that kind of leader who could make, who could change people's mindsets. That's the hardest part. That's the job of the leader is to change people's mindsets and to make them into positive thinkers, make a nation into positive thinkers because the nation of Israel if you look at all their complaints over the years, were very negative. A lot of their complaints were very negative. We don't like the manna. We don't like the food. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. We want more meat. We don't remember the watermelons. Remember the leeks. Remember the onions. Remember all the stuff we had in Egypt, the fish we ate for free. And so there's a lot of complaints. How do you make people think in a positive fashion? That's one of the jobs of the leader. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's job, to take these ex-slaves and form them into a nation, to make them into a, it's amazing, it's amazing, it's a miracle to see in Israel 
how you had people from concentration camps who had just freed from concentration camps, given a gun and told to fight. And we had one of them in our shul, Yehuda, who just unfortunately passed away recently. Here he was, ex from, straight from the Holocaust, right into Israel, given a gun and told to fight. And that's a miracle. That's what happened to the slaves in the desert. Here they are, the ex-slaves, and they come out and they're attacked by Amalek and they're given swords and told, fight, go fight Amalek. Amazing, amazing. That's, that's the job of Moshe Rabbein. That's, that's great leadership. That's tremendous leadership. So on the one hand, Moshe Rabbein was very disillusioned with Jewish people. When he saw the Tana of Iran, he, he saw the brothers fighting. He was disillusioned. When he heard them talking Lashonara about him and they said, you want to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Then he realized why they were enslaved. He realized the pettiness between them was the cause of the slavery. The Lashonara between them was the cause of the slavery. When brothers don't get along, that's the cause of slavery and exile. And that's something which we have to also absorb and, and talk about in our generation as well. So this parasha talks to us as well. So it's very important to keep the faith. Moshe Rabbeinu knew how to keep going despite all the adversity. One of the things he had to learn. So there was no person in the world. Let's think about this. This dichotomy over here. There was no person in the world who was so far removed from physicality as Moshe Rabbeinu. He was so far removed from the physicality that he couldn't even stay with his own wife. Hashem tells him, you stay with me. You're not allowed to go back to your tent. You stay here with me. Why? Because he was on call 24-7. He had to divorce himself from his physicality. He could not be a material person when he's 24-7 on call with God. God can call him anytime. He had these uh, prophetic uh, vision straight away. It wasn't even a vision. It was direct prophecy from God anytime. So on the one hand, he was tremendously um, divorced from physical, but he wasn't divorced from the physical reality. And that's, that's the hardest part. And that's something which a lot of prophets could not do. That is to talk to people and talk to God at the same time. It's impossible to do. They have to go to a trance-like state, they have to get prophecy, and then they have to get back and then come back. And then a few days later, talk to the people. But to do it at the same time on the same day, that's that's very, very good. That's, that's Moshe Rabbein. Or Moshe Rabbein could do that. Um, so the Rambam tells us that Moshe Rabbein was a prophet like no other prophet. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. Moshe Rabbein's prophecy was a direct prophecy. All the other prophets saw through visions and through dreams, but they couldn't stay awake and see God and talk to God at the same time. Only Moshe Rabbeinu could do that. No one else could do that. So that was a greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, what's interesting also is Moshe Rabbeinu has a very anonymous birth. If you look at Pasha Shemot, you won't find any sign. All it says is, A man went from the house of Levi and took a daughter from Levi. And we don't find any names of his parents. We don't know who they were. We don't know the name of his, uh, his sister who waited by the banks of the river until this week's parasha. It tells us who his parents were, Amram and Yocheved and his sister Miriam and his brother Aharon, who was three years older than him. And uh, at, the, at the time when they took out the Jews from Egypt, Moshe was 80 and Aharon was 83. So now we know their names. So why was his birth anonymous? Why was it 
So it's interesting because when a child has not achieved anything yet, you know, we have nothing to show. Well, there's nothing to be proud of. It's only after he's achieved, only after he's been appointed as a leader, do we suddenly find out who he is. So there's another lesson over here about leadership is that really a leader shouldn't put his family above everyone else. That's why, that's another reason why there's, there's the names of his parents and his uh, brothers and sisters were anonymous. Because a leader can't put his family above everyone else. And he can't pay attention to his family more than anyone else. Everyone has to be on a level footing, even his own family. It's so hard to be a leader because you can't put your own relatives above other people. Everyone has to be on an equal footing. And that's one of the reasons why this, uh, the, the whole birth of Moshe was in an anonymous fashion. Also, he had to be accepted by the people. We find that when he came in Parsha Shemot, the people had to accept him. The elders had a meeting with him and they accepted him as the leader. So, yeah, but a leader has to be accepted by the people. That's closest he's got to an election. So he was elected in a sense by the leadership of the nation as the leader. He came to them with signs from God and they accepted him. So it's very important for the leader to be accepted. Uh, Moshe Rabbein had tremendous courage. Can't, I mean, it's impossible. It's, it's, it's amazing to know how much courage Moshe Rabbein had with Aharon. It says when the first time he went to meet Paro, he went with the 70 elders behind him. And by the time they got to the palace, all those leaders had disappeared. All the Shotrim, the policemen who were Jews, uh, had disappeared. They were so scared of Paro. So imagine how much guts do you need to go and stand before the leader of the most powerful leader in the world and tell them you have a message from God which the leader doesn't want to accept. And he goes, basically going into the lion's den. He went into the lion's den. Can you imagine what force of character he had, what strength of character, what courage he had to go right into the lion's den and tell Paro, Ko amar Hashem, Hashem, beni Israel. My, my child, my firstborn Israel. Israel is my firstborn. I care about them. And I want you to send them out. Send them out and to serve me in the desert. You know, it's interesting because in the 19th century, there was what's called the Bilu movement. Beit Yaakov lechu venelcha. They call the Bilu movement, was a movement in Russia for Jews to come to Eretz Israel and build the kibbutz movement. As you can see by the name, they used the pasuk in the Torah, which we say in our prayers every day before the psalm of the day. Beit Yaakov lechu venelcha, the house of Jacob should go, let us go. But what they're taking out, the pasuk, is the next two words. Or Hashem. Uh, in the light of God. Similarly, there was a movement to get the Soviet Jews out of Soviet Russia. And uh, the movement, the, the framework was, let my people go. And this is a pasuk from this week's parasha. Actually, from last week's parasha. But what's missing is, that they should serve me. Let my people go to serve me. So again, they left out the words to serve me. Freedom for Jewish people is not freedom to do whatever we want. It's freedom to serve Hashem. That's what we want. We want freedom to serve Hashem. You know, it's interesting because for thousands of centuries, for many centuries, Jewish people always wanted freedom of, for religion. We wanted to freedom to worship as we want to worship, not to be forced like uh, other societies want us to be forced against our will to worship other religions. We want freedom to worship to be Jews. And now that we have freedom to worship as we want, we want freedom from religion. So before we want freedom to be religious. And now... 
we want freedom from religion. So it's a, a tremendous dichotomy and tremendous contradiction. And unfortunately, we have to go back to what we wanted is freedom. So here today, we can come to Eretz Israel, we can be free Jews in our free country and serve God the way we want. Baruch Hashem, we're very lucky. So Moshe Rabbeinu, let's go back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, his main interest in life now is the Jewish people. The success of Am Yisrael, that is the main. He's the leader of Am Yisrael. He wants success for Am Yisrael. He wants success for the whole nation. He wants success. So that is his main goal. We see him, he's willing to sacrifice himself when the Jews sit at the golden calf. And Hashem says, move away from them. Let me destroy them. And I'll build you up into a nation. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, if so, he says, erase my name from your book. If you're going to raise the Jewish people, I don't want to be around when they're not around. I'm willing to sacrifice myself. Totally self-effacing. Moshe Rabbeinu was totally self-effacing. In other words, a good leader is, I'm not important. The people are important. I'm here for them. And if they're not here, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be elevated at their expense. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I don't want to be the leader at their expense. If they're not going to survive, I don't want to survive either. That's a great leader. That's a tremendously great leader. That was Moshe Rabbeinu who was willing to sacrifice himself for the Jewish people. So he had the guts. He had that ability to stand up, even against Hashem in a sense. Hashem says, move away from them. I will destroy them. And I'll make you the leader. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. I don't want to be a leader if they're not around. Save them as well. Have mercy on them. That's amazing leadership. That's our defense. The leaders of the Jewish people have to defend the Jewish people. Not accuse them, not attack them, but defend them. They're good people. Hashem, have mercy on them. The leader has to pray for the people. So he had a few jobs. Moshe Rabbeinu's job was, number one, to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Now, it's interesting. He had two major problems. Number one was, are the Jews going to listen to him? And that was his first one complaint, was the Jews, if Parah won't listen to me, why will the Jews listen to me? If Parah won't listen to me and send the Jews out, do you think the Jews want to come out? They don't want to come out either. In fact, the Midrash says, four-fifths of the Jews stayed in Egypt. Amazing. Hamushim alu b'nei Mitzrayim. Right, the Midrash says one-fifth of the Jewish people came out of Egypt. Only one-fifth came out of Egypt. Four-fifths stayed in Egypt. What does that mean? They died in the plague of darkness. Now you can take that at a face value, or you can understand that they died in a plague of assimilation. And unfortunately, we're witnessing this today in our own exile in the Golden Medina, as they call it. The Golden Medina. How many Jews are going to come out of the Golden Medina, of the Golden Country of America, the land of the free? 50% of assimilation rates or more. And this applies to every exile. Every exile that we've been in, unfortunately, very few Jews come out. And uh, sometimes they they can't come out because they're killed. And sometimes they can't come out because they assimilated totally into the country. And that's what we're saying over here. The Moshe Rabbeinu's challenge was, how do I get the Jews to come out of Egypt? You know, some of the Jews in Egypt obviously never had it so bad that they they wanted to stay there. I mean, it was a superpower of the, of the world at that time. The supermarkets were full. The food was full. There was, a, there was a land of plenty. And therefore, why leave a land of plenty to go into a desert? You know, it's a, it's a very big test, extremely big test. And that's a test, you know, that's a test that we have today as well. Like people around the world, you know, they don't leave the countries. They're, they're successful. They're comfortable. They don't leave a place where they're comfortable. 
my children, my grandchildren live here, my great-grandchildren live here, we're comfortable, we've been here for generations, it's very hard to leave. And that was the challenge, one of the first challenges of Moshe Rabbeinu is how to change that, that attitude of Jews, that this is my country. We talked about that, how Yaakov Avinu didn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wanted his children to know this is not our country. And that was the challenge of Moshe, how am I going to get the Jews out of Egypt? And number two challenge, a bigger challenge maybe, although not sure, equal challenges, how do I get Paro to make the Jews go? So it's interesting because the plagues, we think the plagues were just for Pharaoh, they weren't. The plagues were also an educational tool for the Jewish people to show them that God is the king of the world. And they can survive with God in the desert. God can do many miracles for them on their behalf. They're safe with God. God is their protector. They can come out with God. God can save them. So these are very important. There's a very important uh, story, a very small story in the book. Uh, yes, uh, last week's parasha, where at the Bernie Bush. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, parable, a deep parable, the parable of the staff and the snake. That's interesting. I was looking up earlier the, the role of the snake in Egypt. And Egypt had at least two snakes uh, who they claimed to be gods. Um, one was a demon god. Okay. I don't want to talk about too much about it. Uh, number two was the, uh, another kind of serpent god. And uh, that's why they always had these, actually, they were pythons, the shape of a python. It's interesting, where we wear out to fit in, where we wear out to fit in on our heads, that's where the pharaohs had their crown with their snake on top. That snake was a python, which is one of their gods. Amazing, amazing, amazing. A python was their god, imagine. Uh, the gods of Egypt was uh, one of them, two of them were snakes. And uh, interesting, one of them was a python. But interesting, how Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the miracle of the staff. So Hashem at the burning bush, by the way, the bush, it says, was a thorn bush. The thorn bush symbolizes that Hashem is with us in pain. In other words, when the Jewish people are in pain, Hashem is symbolizing in a thorn bush. Hashem is not comfortable either. When we're in pain, Hashem is also in pain. So there's right Hashem, Hashem, please have mercy on us. We won't be in pain and therefore you won't be in pain either. So please Hashem, have mercy on the Jewish people and save us from all our enemies, including Iran and all the enemies around us and save us from our own enemies and save us from... Uh, uh, fighting, infighting, and save us from disunity. Hashem should give us unity, bless us with unity. Anyway, let's go back to the story of the snake. So Hashem says, what do you have in your hand? And Moshe Rabbeinu says, I have my staff. So he's throwing it on the ground. And he throws it in the ground and it turns into a snake. And it says, Yanos Moshe Mipanav. Moshe ran away from the snake. Imagine, Moshe Rabbeinu is running away from the staff. The staff turned into a snake and he's running away from the snake. The Gemara says, a Roman asked Rabbi Akiva, our God is stronger than your God. So Rabbi Akiva says, what do you mean? He says, our God, the snake, is stronger than your God. And I'll bring you a proof from your own Bible. He says, yeah. He says, yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to God at the burning bush. But when he throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake, Moshe Rabbeinu is running away from the snake. So you see, he didn't run away from God. But he's running away from the snake. So you see, our God, the snake, is greater than your God. Rabbi Kiva says a beautiful answer, amazing answer. He says, from your God, a person can run away. From our God, there's nowhere to run. From Hashem, who is everywhere, that you can't run. So Moshe Rabbeinu can run away. From a snake, you can run. Because snakes are not all powerful. A snake is not everywhere. So from your God, we can run. From our God, you can't run. That's amazing. That's, 
that's an amazing. Anyway, so what was the lesson to Moshe from the snake and the staff? So I heard this amazing concept. Many years ago, when I was at a conference in Israel, I heard from an Israeli rabbi, I can't remember who it was. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu was a very direct person. When Moshe Rabbeinu saw trouble, he interfered straight away. That's a stick. A stick is the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's a stick, a staff. And Moshe Rabbeinu acted like a staff. If I see trouble, I interact. I get involved straight. I go straight for it. I go immediately and try and resolve the situation. That's a staff. And I'm not wishy-washy. I go straight, direct. Moshe Rabbeinu was always very direct. He sees two Jews fighting, he goes directly. He sees the, the Egyptian hitting the Jew, he goes directly. He goes and sees the troubles, the, the, the shepherds are troubling the girls, he goes directly. He's like a stick. Hashem says, take the stick and throw it on the ground. And the stick turns into a snake. You know, it's very hard to figure out where is a snake going? Hashem says, I don't operate like a stick. I don't operate in a straight line. Hashem in history does not operate in a straight line. It's very hard to find out. Even now, when we're seeing all the signs of the messianic era around us, a lot of people cannot see God's hand in history. It's amazing. We see it right now. It's clear. It's crystal clear. We have a state of Israel. After 2,000 years, we have an army and an air force. We've never been so powerful. And people can't see God's hand. This is the hand of God in history right now. We're seeing it. But why can't we see it? Because Hashem doesn't operate in a straight line. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it goes down. It's like the stock market. goes up, goes down. That is how God operates history. That's the lesson of the snake. Hashem says, I don't operate like you. I don't operate in a direct line. Sometimes you see, and that's the message. At the end of last week's parasha, there was tremendous trouble. Paro rejected them and made the Jews work harder. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, why? Why do you make things worse for us, Hashem? You're meant to hate. You're meant to save us. Why do you make things worse? Why did you send me to make things worse? Well, that's the message, Hashem says. I don't operate like you. Not always things are going to go up in a straight line. I don't operate like that in history. Otherwise, I'm going to take away people's free choice. We have free choice. We have the ability to believe. We have the ability not to believe. Hashem gives us these opportunities. Why? Because we can't see straight what's going on. We have to open our eyes and see with eyes of faith. Things are happening now that never happened before, thousands of years ago. We're back in our holy land. Bezrat Hashem, all of us will come back. Bezrat Hashem will see a Jewish people, a united Jewish people in their holy land, in health and, and security and success, all of us together. So this is the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. The greatness of his leadership was these major qualities. Let's just recap a few of his qualities. His quality was he couldn't stand back and see the innocent afflicted. He couldn't stand back and see people in pain and suffering. And he had empathy for the downtrodden. And he had tremendous abilities to interfere, even though it was at his own risk. He was willing to give his life to save other people. It doesn't matter who they were. It doesn't matter if it was a sheep running away from the flock. He had empathy. He'd care for others. And he was willing to do it at his own expense. We find at the end, the parasha tells us that he never took a penny from the Jewish people. That's amazing. He was a leader who gave his life, who gave his strength, gave his toil for the people and never took a penny. I never even took the price of my, my donkey. I never even got a, a car payment out of these people. Nothing. They wouldn't even help me in any way, financially. Amazing, amazing. So that was the qualities of Moshe Rabbeinu that made him a great leader. And I wish you all a very pleasant, happy Shabbat and successful week. 
And Bezrat Hashem will meet all of us together in Eretz HaKodesh, in Eretz... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.